bumper makes me laugh. I don't, have you ever known anybody that recycles cards? So we had a lady in a, one of our churches that people would give her cards and she would just cross out their message and write her own message. And it could be like a thank you card, but she would use it as a happy birthday card. She would just write happy birthday in there and give that, a, you know, yeah. So uh, every, time I, every time I see that, I think of her. So uh, anybody know anybody that does that? Anybody? No, I'm the only one that knows someone that's done that before. Okay, cool. Um, one other thing, um, we would love for you to uh, find somebody to tell about our church uh, and to share. So there's a little connect card that just says come and see that's in all the seats. Um, please take that, give it to somebody um, that you know, uh, and invite them to come and check out uh, what's happening here at South Hills. So uh, I don't know if you've ever had a moment in your life where life was like that, that particular experience was so good, kind of so beautiful, so fulfilling that the moment itself almost took on like a, a, a tangible quality where, where you were so happy, so fulfilled, and so thankful just because everything in that moment, everything in your world, and as far as you're concerned, everything in the world was, was just perfect, was just right. And, and lots of things can trigger those experiences. Sometimes it's, it's really big stuff, whether it's a moment while you were traveling someplace or, or moment, the moment that, you know, if you're a parent, the moment that your baby was born or, or, or one, one of your kids was born. A, a few years ago, um, we were on vacation in Maui with my wife's family, and, uh, and I had one of those moments. We were sitting poolside at the resort, uh, and... and a baby was born right there. No, no, I'm just kidding. It didn't happen that way. No, but it was an absolute perfect day and the kids were playing and splashing in the pool and my wife was sitting next to me and, and the ocean was like right there and the waves and the breeze and just the sounds of that experience and it was all just sort of surreal uh, and, and it was just this perfect experience. So sometimes it's really big things like that, but other times it's just kind of everyday sort of routine moments that can trigger it too, right? Like if you've ever taught your kid how to ride a bike, like that is just like that moment where they get it and they stay up and they're, and they're just overwhelmed with joy and they're so excited and you're just like, woo, because one of us was about to lose it, you know, like if you just didn't get it right now. Or, or there's times where if you're married where you, you, know, you catch your spouse's eye and you can kind of see the love that they have for you in their eyes or, or, or maybe the satisfaction or the joy of finishing a project or a big assignment in school early and kind of getting the weight of it off your shoulders. And in those moments, it, it's really easy for us in those moments to, to feel overwhelmed with gratitude and, and how good life can be. But, but one of the things that we all know, and we kind of have to admit, and you're thinking about your life and those experiences, uh, is and one of the things we know about those moments is that they're, they're fleeting. They don't last. And, and sometimes it's because of something or someone, you know, that, that happened in the moment. Like that day by the pool, the beach there in Maui, everything was perfect. And I was looking at the beach and my wife's right here. And then a ball hit me in the face from the pool from one of my kids. Um, and you're just kind of snapped back and you, you know, and I'm angry, like who hit me in the face and they're laughing and like, and, and the big, beautiful, perfect moment was over, you know, uh, or, or our little guy, Kelton, who's five, like he loves to snuggle. And when he was a baby, he used to crawl up in my lap and he would, just, you know, put his head on my shoulder and just be like, daddy. 
And I'd be like, oh, buddy, I love you so much. And it was amazing. And then he'd like lean back and headbutt me right in the face. And it was, it was over. I don't, know, I don't know why little boys like to headbutt, but all of my boys have loved to, to headbutt me in the face. Uh, all the, the warm fuzzies go away when you're just like, ah, like I can't see. I don't know what happened. But we've all had those moments, right? And even when something from the outside didn't happen to ruin it, it still didn't last because it couldn't. I mean, you can't live on vacation forever. I mean, your kids don't remain angelic forever. And that's why you go in and watch them sleep to be reminded of how much you love them, right? Like, it's just like, look at them. They're so perfect. And tomorrow when they wake up, we're going to drug them so they sleep more. No, but life happens. If you're like me, you, you, you love to kind of sit in those moments and sort of soak up as much of that feeling and that experience as you can because you know that no matter what, it's eventually gonna go away. Moments of pleasure and happiness are amazing, but they aren't meant to last. And, and partly because they depend on certain outcomes that just aren't always going to happen, like I was just talking about. Like you're, you're just not always going to be on vacation. But, but also, they don't last because of how our brains work, right? And, and here's what I mean. So, so, like, medicine and science tell us that, that pleasure and happiness, that they, they work in our brains on dopamine. Like, when you experience something that you enjoy, like, you get a little shot of dopamine in your brain, uh, and, and that's what kind of gives you that, that incredible experience of just happiness and joy and you're just it's fun and you're just having a great time which but because of because of the way dopamine works in your brain by just by its very nature it's it's very short term it's very short-lived right and and as that dopamine hit sort of wears off our brains want more of it and the, the truth is is like actually science starts to tell us that that it can be addictive to our brains that's actually why like your cell phone can be addictive to you because just looking at it over and over and over again, every time you see that little bubble or you see that you got a little alert, every time you look at it, your brain gets a little tiny shot of dopamine and so you get addicted to pulling that thing out and looking at it over and over and over again or addicted to gaming or whatever it is. And, and, and pleasure and happiness do that for us. And, and that actually explains why sometimes we make choices that feel good right now but are ultimately like destructive or at least unhealthy in the long run. Because we're chasing that happiness, that dopamine shot to our brain because it just, it felt so good. In that moment, everything was perfect, but we know it just, it just ends, right? And in the end, pleasure and happiness usually wind up being kind of selfish and self-focused pursuits. Because in the end, we're just like, I just want, I just want to feel really good about my life and, and, and I just want to have that happiness or that experience. Now, joy, on the other hand, is different. It, it actually is more long-term and, and actually works differently in your brain than the way that pleasure and happiness works because joy actually works on serotonin in your brain, which is a completely different brain chemical and works completely different. Now, the, sometimes the way that we experience them feels very much the same, but joy is actually others-focused. Joy is actually about other people. It's about giving. It's about our place in the world, about what we bring to the table. It's about purpose and meaning and the difference that we make. It's about generosity. By the way, I don't know if this is a, a fun little tidbit. Did you know that, um, that, that medical science tells us that the areas of your brain um, and, and this is like PG-13, so if you have kids, just keep that in mind. The areas of your brain that kind of light up and fire off when you're having sex are actually those same areas of your brain 
light up and fire off when you do something generous for someone else. And when I read that, I was like, I'm doing one of those things wrong because they don't feel the same (laughs) in real life. But here's the point. The difference between joy and and happiness and and pleasure isn't just semantics, right? Because there's nothing, there's nothing at all wrong with pleasure and happiness, obviously, because God created us as beings to be able to experience them. The problem comes when we start confusing the two. And we often do this. We confuse happiness and pleasure with joy all the time. And we do it all the time because they can feel like substitutes for each other. Like they, they feel like different ways at getting at the same thing, but they're, but they're not. And part of the challenge that we experience when it comes to this conversation about gratitude is that we often live our lives with the goal of being happy. And based on what we know about what I just said about happiness, you can see how that's a recipe for living a really ungrateful, actually unsatisfied life because unless you're doing that thing that's giving you that little shot of dopamine, like you're just gonna constantly be chasing that feeling. The truth is, This isn't really a new problem. So there's a guy in the scriptures who's recorded as the wisest man who ever lived. His name was Solomon. And about a thousand years before Jesus was born, he actually talked about some of this same stuff. And so towards the end of his life, he writes writes a, a book called Ecclesiastes, which is just a Latin term sort of loosely means preacher. It means one who leads the assembly. And and so he kind of sits down towards the end of his life as kind of the sage with all of his wisdom and begins to just muse about life and faith and God. And and so he writes Ecclesiastes and and it's a book that's full of questions about the struggles of life and doubts about God and faith. And and ultimately, he kind of, he begins to look at all of the efforts and struggles of life as being meaningless without God at the center. And so I, I wanted to spend a, a little bit of time this morning kind of diving into one of, one of the things he wrote um, in Ecclesiastes. So in Ecclesiastes chapter four, uh, we're gonna read four verses. They'll be on the screen. You can also follow along in, in, in your Bible app if you have that, if you want. Um, otherwise, you can just read along with, uh, with us as we read. So Ecclesiastes chapter four, beginning with verse four, it says this. It says, and I saw that all toil... And all achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless. A a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. But it's better to have one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. And again, I saw something else meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone and he had neither son nor brother There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of the joy of life or of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. It's a miserable business. Now, Solomon wasn't just wise. He's considered to be one of the richest people who ever lived. In fact, some historians kind of place the peak of his net worth at what would translate to today's money to be about two trillion with a T, two trillion dollars. Like if he was alive today, that would be his net worth, which would easily make him the richest man on the planet, right? And he was a king, so he had tons of wealth, 
He was super wise. He was a king, so there was nobody who could tell him no. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, just a couple of chapters before what we read, he actually says this. This is what he said. He said, I denied, in verse 10, he says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired, and I refused my heart no pleasure. And the reason why I wanted to point that out is because this guy's been there and done that. In fact, he's been all of there and done all of the that's because he had the money and the position and the opportunity. He could do whatever he wanted. And after everything that he experienced, he's going, this is what I'm trying to get you to understand is that envy and comparison are the sources of all of the toil in your life. And he doesn't, I think it's important that he doesn't just say work, right? Because there's, work is actually a really good thing for us. He says it's the source of all the toil, the hard, exhausting, nonstop grind, the painful drudgery of life. The source of all of it is comparing ourselves to other people and envying what they have and compared to what we have. And he says envy is actually like, chasing the wind and nobody wants to spend their life chasing after something that they could never catch and yet so often his is as his observation is is that so often so many of us that's exactly what we do now the problem is is that envy is really difficult to avoid because it's fueled by comparison and comparison kind of drives almost everything in our lives especially in our culture in fact, uh, about 10 years ago, there was a, a Dutch researcher and a scientist who was named uh, Franz de Waal, and he did some experiments with some monkeys that became really well-known, so much so that um, his research became so well-known that he actually did a TED Talk on it a few years later. And, and, and in part of their research, what they did is they took two monkeys, they had them in separate cages right next to each other, and they would give them a simple task to perform, and when they performed that task, they would reward each of them with a slice of cucumber which is a great arrangement for monkeys because monkeys really like and really enjoy cucumber. And so they were completely happy with that arrangement. But after, a after the first couple of rounds, they continued to give the first monkey a piece of cucumber when he performed the task. But the second monkey, they switched out the cucumber and they gave him a grape. And monkeys love grapes. And well, watch what happens. So she gives a rock to us, that's the task and we give her a piece of cucumber and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does. And she gets a grape. And she eats it. The other one sees that. She gives a rock to us now, gets again cucumber. She tests a rock now against the wall. She needs to give it to us. And she gets cucumber again. <laughs> Isn't that what we do, right? I love this, it's so good, I'm so happy. Wait, they got what? I don't want this stupid thing, eh, right? Like that's what we do. Like we, we have an experience, we're totally, this is great. And why do we do that? Because of comparison. And 3,000 years ago, Solomon is like, chasing pleasure and happiness are so shallow that they can be stolen so easily by simply 
comparing, they can be ripped away in a passing moment of envy when you look around at everybody else and you go, oh, I was totally happy with this, but when I see that what you got, like all of a sudden what I have isn't that great anymore. And we don't want to admit it, but it's true of all of us, right? Envy is just discontentment with what you have compared to, and that's the important part, compared to what they have. Like, like, have you ever had a moment in your life where you felt pretty good about something, about where you were or what you had or what you were doing, but then you saw someone else and, and, and you saw where they were or what they had or what they were doing, and just like that monkey, it kind of ruined the thing that you had. I mean, nothing changed about your circumstance, just like for that first monkey. Nothing changed. He still got cucumber, and he was perfectly happy with the cucumber. The only thing that changed is that you got a glimpse of what someone else was getting. Like that moment that you started a diet and you're trying to lose some weight and you're feeling pretty good because it's going pretty good and you've been really disciplined and it's been hard but you've lost some weight but then you kind of see her and she's kind of just doing it with you and she's already dropped like twice as much weight as you and then you kind of hate her and feel defeated about what you're doing or, or you're on vacation and everything was great camping out at the lake and then you saw those people went to Europe, and so then you have to mute their Instagram posts because you just don't feel good about it, right? Or you unfollow them on Facebook, and you start arguing with yourself about how camping is really just pretending to be homeless, and that really isn't a vacation. <laughs> so uh, there's, it's probably more of an open secret than anything, but there's a dirty little secret in church life is that pastors fall prey to this all the time. And... and in all the similar ways of, you know, anybody else. But the truth is, is that pastors all the time look around at other churches and other pastors and they compare their church and the size of their church and how many people attend their church and the projects they're doing. And, 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 and they compare it to that other church and the thing they're doing. And, and pastors have kind of mastered the art of sort of dropping names and the humble brag, you know, like posting things like, oh, you know, just... Spent the day following up on the hundreds of guest cards that came in yesterday, just overwhelmed by how many people are coming to our church. Hashtag so blessed. <laughs> or I just loved meeting with the mayor and the entire city council and the police chief and the superintendent of schools and the fire chief and the city's dog catcher. Not that anybody's paying attention. Hashtag community impact. See, let me tell you something you already know. Contentment fuels gratitude, but comparison will kill it every time. See, when, when we choose contentment, we choose to say, God, this is where I am, this is what I have, this is what's going on, and I'm gonna choose to be content with my life as it is, that actually fuels our ability to say thank you and to be appreciative and to, and to show and practice gratitude like we talked about last week. But the moment that we start comparing, we start looking and measuring and what do they have and where do they get to go and it actually begins to kill how grateful we are for what we have and what we're doing and what we're experiencing. And Solomon actually says that it's chasing after the wind. Now, I'm not sure you've ever chased the actual wind, but just for kicks this week, just to try to understand Solomon a little bit better, I tried it. I mean, that's the kind of research I'm committed to as your pastor, you guys. So I took a few moments one day, kind of walked down the street from my house, went to the park, and every time I felt the breeze blow by, I would, I would reach out with my cat-like reflexes and try to grab it. 
And once I even took off chasing it across the park. But here's the thing, is it would blow one direction, then it would blow a different direction, then it was behind me, then it was in front of me. And it turns out, surprisingly, it was as pointless as you might think. Now, here's what I think we should do when it comes to this conversation. I think this week, we should kind of make the decision together that every time we catch ourselves from this week going forward, every time we catch ourselves sort of caught up in a moment of comparison, every time we catch ourselves caught up in a moment of envy, every time we catch ourselves comparing ourselves and our life to someone else, that we just stop and we just say out loud to ourselves, that's just chasing the wind. Oh man, I'd love that car. That's just chasing the wind. Uh, Did you see how big their house is? That's just chasing the wind. Guys, did you see the size of his TV? It's just chasing the wind. We really need to get the newer, bigger, faster, better. It's just chasing the wind. Don't get suckered into the win-then game. When I get married, then I'll be happy. Or when I get divorced, then I'll be happy. Or when we make 50,000 or 100,000 or 250,000 a year, then we'll really be happy because then we'll be set. When my kids get into the college that they wanna get into, when I get this thing, when I drive that car, when this happens, then I'll be happy. No, you won't. It's chasing the wind because it's always a moving target. Now, I know contentment is one of the least exciting conversations that we could actually have, especially in our culture. Um, And it may not even be something that you think that much about or even feel like you need to spend that much time sort of working on. Contentment, but here's the deal. Contentment might not be a big deal for you personally, but it's definitely something we all want for the people we love, right? Like, like if I came in here and I was like, I have a magic button on this table. And if you come and press this magic button, when you push that magic button, you'll be completely, 100%, absolutely content with yourself and your life for 24 hours. Now, there might not be a lineup of people lining up to push the button for themselves, but I bet there'd be a ton of us trying to drag our husbands up here or drag our wives up here or parents trying to drag their kids up here because you can't press it for somebody else. They gotta press it for themselves. Why? Why would we do that? Because even though we may not care that much about our level of contentment in our life, we understand how corrosive and how ugly comparison and envy and discontentment are. So there's this other place where Solomon wrote about this, and it's Proverbs chapter 15, beginning with verse 15, he says this, he says, all the days of the oppressed are wretched, and the cheerful, but the cheerful, the cheerful heart has a continual feast. Verse 16, better a little with the, with, uh, the fear of the Lord than, a great, than great wealth with turmoil, and better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. And so he says, all the days of the oppressed are uh, are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. 
See, the, the truth is, is that God is inviting you and me into a life where our joy, our level of joy and gratitude and celebration comes from what's happening in us, not what's actually happening to us. It's not dependent upon what's happening out there, that there's something going on deep in our soul and in our heart and in our lives that's actually driving our joy and our celebration, not something else. Now, I'm just guessing there's probably not a lot of us in this room who are living, you know, he says, all the days of the, you know, the oppressed are wretched. There's probably not a lot of us living under oppression this morning, no matter who you're married to or who you work for. Uh, the, the, the word actually oppressed could be translated as poor or people in need. And, and he says, but he, he says, all of the days of the oppressed are wretched. And I've had my share, my fair share of bad days, but I, I don't think I'd refer to any day in my life so far at age 45, knock on metal, I, that, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't describe any day in my life as wretched. But one of the things that I love about this is that God never shies away from the difficult realities of life. He's going, look, you're probably going to go through some stuff. You're probably going to have to face some tough times. And when you're in that place and it's stressful and difficult and hard, and you may even be there this morning, but he's going, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast, has a nonstop party. Now, when I read this, and maybe you think like I do, wouldn't it have just made more sense, especially when he says all the days of, uh, of the poor and those in need feel wretched, right? Well, then it, it would have made sense if he would have just said, it would have been logical if he said, but when you've got the money and the stuff and everything you want, then life is one good, big, long party. But he says, no, 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 no. No matter your circumstances, you can actually choose joy and contentment because contentment fuels gratitude the comparison kills it you can your life can be a continual feast isn't that like a a, a perfect isn't that a great picture a never ending party as somebody that's kind of wired like as an extrovert and loves people and parties and social get like i'm just like yes a never ending party the the word literally means it you're, that the cheerful heart has a continual feast it means that there, it's it's always an occasion to drink. Like, I didn't make that up. That's what that means. It's always a moment to toast something in your life. He's saying no matter what's going on in your life, there's always, 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 always something worth celebrating in your life. And that's what joy and contentment and gratitude actually do for us. When we're not chasing the pleasure dopamine hit, we can actually celebrate the good that's happening in our life. And in verse 16, he says, better is a little bit with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. And that word, he says, better, better with a little bit in the fear of the Lord. It's a deeply theological word, that word better. And it turns out it means better, that it's just better to have a relationship with God than to have great wealth and things not be right in your life. And if anybody knew this, it was Solomon who had all the wealth in the world, having seen and done and experienced it all. He's going, it's better to just have just a little bit and have a reverence and awe and relationship with God. He's going, life is just better with God at the center. 
He he was meant to be the core of your life. When any other pursuit is at the center of your life, it doesn't matter how much of it you achieve. It doesn't matter how much, you you know, what what the, the, the level in your bank account reads that you will always be spinning and toiling and striving, which is the definition of turmoil. You'll always be chasing the wind. And then in verse 17, he said, better is a small serving of vegetables with love and a fattened calf with hatred. To which I would say, I'll take the fattened calf. I'm just kidding. But he's going, love is the secret sauce, right? Love is what makes the difference. It's the ingredient to a beautiful life. He's going, love can even make veggies, vegetables taste better. This is my paraphrase of what he said. Broccoli with love is better than tacos with jerks. And I, there's nothing wrong with broccoli, but I'd much rather have tacos. He's going, it's way better when your life is in order, when you're not toiling, when you're not sitting there. When it's, by the way, it's impossible to love people since this is the place that he kind of lands in this section It's impossible to love people that you're constantly comparing yourself to. See, God is wanting to unleash his love in your heart in such a way that that it flavors and seasons every area of your life and that even when life is a little bit bitter and a little bit tough to swallow, that God's love is the secret sauce. When you begin to read the scriptures, Solomon, he he writes about this so much. The truth is, is, he, he isn't the only one that writes about this. The Apostle Paul famously wrote about it as well in Philippians chapter four, beginning with verse 11. He says, not that I was ever in need for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is the full, with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or a little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I, I, I absolutely love that Paul writes this and, and he's keeping, like, he, he's just, he's like, I, I've had a lot and I've had a little, like I've been on both ends of the spectrum so you can trust me when I tell you this. Several years ago, I ran across some research from a study on happiness and keeping in mind that it's fleeting anyway, here's a, an excerpt from one of the things they wrote. He said, there seems to be no end to the division and subdivision of our tastes now. It used to be that if you wanted ice cream after a meal, you just ordered ice cream. There were two to three flavors to choose from at the most. Those are called the dark ages. Just kidding, they didn't write that. That was my editorializing. They continued, now there are hundreds of flavors of ice cream in existence. It's not enough to want chocolate. You have to decide between chocolate fudge brownie or New York super fudge chunk or chocolate peanut butter swirl and on and on and on and on and on the possibilities go. And if, and if you want coffee, it's no different. You have to specify if you want French roast or Colombian or Kona or any number of varieties and not to mention how it's prepared. They said, we found people whose whole day was affected when they couldn't get the coffee they liked made just the way they liked it. Can you imagine coffee ruining your day? I can't imagine. 
Here was their ultimate observation. Here's what they said after all of that. They said, as our preferences get fractioned finer and finer by the choices that are afforded to us, the range of what we can tolerate gets smaller and smaller and smaller. In other words, this is me. That was their observation. This is me. If we're not careful, our abundance can actually become the enemy of our contentment. All the little choices and preferences and all the little things that we get, all the little beautiful things that we get to enjoy about life can actually become the enemy of our contentment. We often think of it as the other way around, right? That the less we have, the harder it is for us to be content, but it's, it's just not true. And you can actually see this, especially if you're a parent, really easily in your kids because there seems to be an inverse relationship to how much your kids have and their little level of contentment. I can't tell you the number of times where I've gone, you have an entire room of toys. How are you standing here telling me you're bored? How are you here standing, standing here telling me you have nothing to do? You have a TV with like three streaming services and then you go into the obligatory, when I was a kid, right? We see it really easily in other people that the more opportunity, the more blessing, the more abundance that, that we have, the, our level of contentment actually tends to trend down. But Paul, the apostle Paul says, I've learned the secret of living in every situation, but, but it's an open secret, right? It's not a mystery. And you want to know what it is? Here's what it is. I've learned to be content. I choose to be content no matter what's happening in my life. That's what Paul is saying. That seems pretty straightforward, it, it, like that, that, that seems pretty easy to grasp. But I, I wonder how many of us are actually stepping into that and just going, God, no matter what happens, especially in 2020, there's a lot of discontentment, a lot of those little inconveniences. Now, I'm, I'm kind of a simple guy. So before we end, I thought I'd give you a few practical ways that you can actually embrace or choose contentment this week. Number one, choose to give thanks for imperfect gifts. The only kind of gifts that you're ever going to receive and really the best kinds of gifts that you're gonna receive in this world are imperfect gifts. If you wait for perfect gifts, you'll never be grateful. If you're married and you're sitting here with your spouse, sitting next to you, you're sitting next to an imperfect gift. Go ahead and tell them. Tell them right now. You're my imperfect gift. Don't get cocky, though, because they're sitting next to one as well, right? If you wait, I've learned as a parent, if I wait till my kids do the thing that I'm requiring of them to do and that they do it, if I wait till they do it perfectly, to actually encourage them and praise them, I'm not ever gonna do that. Give thanks for imperfect gifts. You, you don't need any more good in your life than you have right now to choose contentment and practice gratitude. Second thing, lean into difficult moments. There's been a lot of those this year. A lot of craziness. And... We can spend our time worked up, wringing our hands, blaming people, shaking our head because people, the toilet paper and the, you know, 
the thing and the what's wrong and the mask and the like we could or we can just choose contentment now this is really hard to do it's really hard to lean into difficult moments because our tendency once life sort of gets uncomfortable like our wiring is we bail we're going to bail out of those situations but the hard and the painful obstacles and the challenges actually give us a perspective that we would not otherwise have without them we don't actually see all of the beauty and the blessings and the goodness around us and part of what keeps keeps us from experiencing that lasting gratitude is that we settle for little escapes for little bursts little shots of pleasure little hits of dopamine in our brain and so when we're stressed out we binge watch a show right that we can just sort of escape from the reality, we don't have to think about what makes, what's making us anxious or uncomfortable, or we can take a drink, or we can take a bite, or we overwork and we throw ourselves into that thing, or we buy so much stuff on Amazon that the delivery guy knows us by name, or a thousand other things to escape what's actually happening. But you'll never actually learn to choose gratitude if we're constantly escaping challenges of life with these little dopamine hits little things that we give ourselves to second third thing is resist that when then thinking you'll be as content and grateful you'll be content and grateful the moment that you choose to be and not a moment before you just will fourth just keep saying that's chasing that's just chasing the wind as often as you need to say it some of us, we, you, you might, you know, it's probably best you say it to yourself, but if you want to say it to a family member, you can. That would be fun. And you might have to say it so much, you can just like make the sound, just like, and they'll just be like, ah, chasing the wind. Got it. Finally, just, what, what, what if, can you imagine, I mean, there's probably, I don't know, 50, 60 people in the room, maybe a little more. What if we all went out this week and we found a single person, one person, not, not five, not 10, one person, not named you, to actually do something for, to help them? I don't know. Now, I, I can't end, I'm gonna land the plane, but I can't end without coming back to Paul's statement about Jesus where he said, I can do all things, everything through Christ who gives me strength. This is Paul just saying, look, I've had a lot and I've had a little and I've learned the secret is choosing to be content. He's going, I've made my life about something bigger than me, bigger than my comfort, bigger than my pleasure or happiness. I've made my life about Jesus, not about what I have or don't have. And here's the truth. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know this. Uh, but one of my favorite, one of my favorite truths that, that I read from C.S. Lewis, and he was quoting somebody else, he says, people need to be inst- uh, reminded more than they need to be instructed. And so let this just be a reminder that to you this morning, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, it, it is that Jesus is absolutely essential to your wholeness and to your satisfaction and to your health and to your life as the core of your life. It's in him that we find our purpose and strength. It's in him that your soul will be satisfied and it won't be satisfied any other way with anything or anyone else. I can do anything 
through Christ who gives me strength. Let's pray together.